Welcome back, everyone, to episode five of the Dice Pirates, where we search through the ocean of tabletop games to find those hidden treasures. This episode, we're going to be talking about solo player games. I, as always, am your Captain Ian, joined by my Sailing Master, Matt. How are you, Matt? Hey, Sailing Master? That sounds like a Silver Age comic villain. I am the Sailing Master. Well, I decided to put you in charge of navigation and keeping us on course, but I'm now realizing that that was probably a poor choice. That's a huge mistake. Yeah. Um, fortunately, we did decide to bring somebody else along to help keep me sane. Uh, we have Aaron with us on the podcast today. How are you, Aaron? I'm I'm well. I'm well. How are you guys doing today? I'm doing I'm doing really good. It's good to have somebody else on. I I get tired of match shenanigans, and I needed somebody else to remind me that the world is a, a happy place that does not always include Matt. Oh, that's <laughs> that was that was like more grim. That felt like more grim than necessary. Uh, Aaron, uh, Aaron Aaron's an, a dice pirate from way back. He he mans our Georgia field office and operations on the uh, coast of Georgia. Uh, but we're glad to have you here uh, with us. I'm happy to be here. Thanks, thanks again for uh, for having me on. I'm excited to talk about solo games. That's that's something that uh, something I spend a lot of time playing because uh, I don't have any real friends. When we were planning this episode, we thought, who's a, who knows a lot about loneliness? Aaron. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. That's it. I can see Matt already trying to create a divide between. Aaron and myself and the members of the podcast in general. So we're going to move on to our initial segment, What You've Been Playing. Um, I know Matt has a game that he really wants to talk about. So what do you got for us, Matt? Well, I thought it would be uh, good to recap our recent game of Power Grid, which is a fascinating example of what can happen when a rule uh, goes wrong. And so uh, we played Power Grid, which is, uh, you know, essentially a fairly quaint little game of market economics uh, buying and selling—it's kind of what Monopoly aspires to be. Uh, but somehow, with one single rule error, we managed to turn it into a game—a dystopian nightmare about late-stage capitalism. Uh, essentially, I don't want to—I don't want to have to spend an hour setting this uh, anecdote up. But the basic—you do have to understand a little bit of how Power Grid works to kind of follow this. So, essentially, in Power Grid, you are. Uh, trying to power uh, cities on a map by uh, buying uh, power plants at auction uh, and then buying uh, the fuel to power them, coal or oil or trash, and then on your turn buying uh, connections in cities. And then if you can, uh, however many cities you power, you make some money, hopefully you make a tidy profit, and you just repeat until you reach a target number of cities. So we're playing a three-player game and we needed to get 17 cities to win. Here's where the twists happen, though. Uh, it's important to note that in Power Grid, the game plays over three phases. And in each phase, it determines how many spaces on the board each player can occupy. In phase one, you can only have one player in each city. And then in the second phase, two players can occupy a city. And then the third phase, three. And this sort of like paces the game. And the phases are determined by moving through the deck of power plant cards in the marketplace. Uh, Ian. God bless him. When he was setting up the game, forgot to take out. Uh, you're supposed to remove eight uh, power plants when you're only playing with three players to make the game a little move quicker. And so what happened is we found ourselves stuck in stage two of the game and quickly spiraled into a Mad Max-like world of despair and chaos. And uh, frankly, I'm not sure I've still recovered from this game. 
it really went completely off the rails because the game is designed around the idea that you're going to be constantly spending as much money as you're making. You're constantly trying to ramp up your production, the resources everybody purchases from, and they become more expensive as you purchase them. So it can be a mad race for these resources. However, because we found ourselves at this point where we did not enter phase three of the game, it meant that the most powerful power plants, the ones that would produce the most energy, did not come out. And being stuck in that point meant that nobody wanted to increase their power level. And by the time phase three happened, we were sitting on mountains of cash. We were sitting there, you know, I felt like Scrooge McDuck. I was taking a swim when it finally came out and it utterly broke the economy of the game. Well, it was really, I, I, I thought about this for like three days afterwards because we actually, I felt like an economist sitting in on this would have been fascinated to see this because we created this incredible market condition where all the players were flush with cash, but there were no goods that anybody wanted to buy. So you had like no meaningful market exchange players sitting on huge amounts of cash. And so we were just buying resources kind of idly just to stockpile them for no reason, but then inadvertently driving up the price of coal and oil and other basic commodities. And then when a power plant would hit the market that people were interested in, the bidding went insane. The first time a decent power plant landed, the bidding went, it went for double. And then when the next good power plant came out, I opened the bid at $200 just to see what would happen. And then it just, it, it actually, went, the price went up from there. By the by, the third stage of the game, no one had enough cash to even like power their power plants. There were mass blackouts happening all over North America. The entire economy was just falling apart and collapsing. Uh, it was it was completely insane, and yet we still somehow actually managed to finish the game, which was fascinating. Uh, I think what stuck with me about it is it it shows really in a weird way, even though we broke it, how tightly designed Power Grid is as a game, because just one variable being off too many power plants being in the deck for three players sent the game in a completely different direction but interestingly it didn't break it we actually could still play the game i actually got to my 17 cities in the end it just took much longer the bidding became much more brutal it uh it it was almost like playing the game on some kind of weird nightmare mode i don't know it was fascinating yeah it almost had it's it we almost created a different game and i i to a certain extent i enjoyed the experience of playing it. I wouldn't want to do that every time, but it was impressive how Power Grid was able to hold together despite the changing of the economy. Um, but it's interesting how games can get completely broken, like you said, just with a couple rule changes. Um, but uh, Aaron, what have you been playing lately? Uh, I recently, uh, in part two, to prepare for being on here, have been playing a game published by Sidroom Games called Black Sonata. Hmm. It is a solo-only game. Uh, It's about discovering the identity of the Dark Lady, a figure that Shakespeare wrote about a lot. Uh, What's really interesting to me is it is a one-player game, and the core mechanic is hidden movement. Interesting. So are we talking like a clue-type deduction system, or how does that hidden movement play out if you're the one moving the cards around? So the movement of the Hidden Lady is actually determined by this deck of cards, uh, the stealth deck. And on the back of the card, there's a bunch of different sets of letters. And to set up the game, you'll pick one set and arrange them in alphabetical order according to that set. So 
if I pick the third one over, I'll start with A, B, C, D, etc. Uh, Matt, that's how the alphabet goes. Oh, um, I was googling alphabet just to be sure. <laughs> um, and then you'll you'll flip them over. So as you run through the cards in the deck, she will always move either adjacent to or stay in the same place that she was. And what the card gives you is just an icon of a possible location. And for each icon, there are three to four different locations where that icon shows up. And then each location may have up to three different icons. So you thankfully get these little chips that you can put on the board to track, okay, this is where she was last turn, and now she's gone. You know, she was at a pub. Now she is at the docks. So I know to look only at docks that are adjacent to pubs. And then you can kind of whittle down where she is, but the the map itself also has a bunch of branching paths. And she's not always moving forward in a circuit. She may double back or cut up the middle and then turn around. So it's just really all about narrowing down her location and then getting to her and then investigating if that's where she is before uh, the deck runs out and you've run out of time. That's really fascinating. It's almost like uh, Scotland Yard, which we've played kind of an older uh, family game sort of vibe, but it moves off of the hidden role mechanic. But I like the idea of taking uh, that experience and turn it into a solo game. That's really fascinating. Yeah, it's to to my knowledge, and I'm sure somebody will will let us know uh, if this is wrong. Uh, don't don't at me. Um, to my knowledge, it is the only solo hidden movement game. Like there there are for almost every mechanic I can think of, there are versions of it that are made exclusively for solo play. I mean there. Are, deck builders made for solo play. There are worker placement games made for solo play, but this idea of tracking somebody who's moving around just abstracted into a deck of cards, and it works really well. I've played probably about a dozen times and actually beat the game for the first time yesterday. Uh, I just looked it up on uh, BGG because uh, I had not heard of this, and it's really fascinating. I actually like the look of the game, too. It's kind of got this uh, minimalist kind of old-school map that you play on, very simple components with icons, and then the, these Victorian like uh, images of Shakespeare and these other folks on the card. So it's got kind of a cool uh, minimalist retro look. Uh, this is a This is a fun one. Yeah, the, the artwork is, is really well done, and it, it presents the information clearly without being so cluttered that you can't make sense of it. Also, if you Google it and you Google Black Sonata, you will get Black Hyundai Sonata, so it helps to put Black Sonata board game. Just a pro tip from me. Uh, similarly, with another game that this company has published, Maquis, turns out that's not just the name of a board game. That was actually the name of this group of French revolutionaries that the board game is about. So if you just Google Maquis, you're in for a much less interesting afternoon. That's really interesting. No, I, I think one of the cool parts about it, too, is just looking at is the size of the box that comes in. I'm sure that's something we'll talk about um, as we get into our full discussion, uh, though, talking about solo player games, because that does tie in um, perfectly well. So we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back to talk about solo player games. All right, and welcome back to the Dice Pirates. You're here with uh, your faithful Dice Pirates crew, Matt, Ian, and special guest, uh, Aaron. And we're here today to talk about a kind of a niche topic, uh, but a very popular one in board gaming, and that is solo gaming. 
uh, the idea of sitting down and playing a board game solo, if you're not uh, really deeply involved in the board game hobby, probably sounds like one of those things that has a sort of a weird stigma around it, like going to the movies by yourself or going out to a restaurant by yourself. There's just some activities that are uh, vaguely kind of looked at sideways when you say, I'm going to sit down and play a board game by myself. But there's actually a really rich and growing uh, scene within the board game community about games that scale down to one player and kind of taking that uh, board game experience and and turning it into something that you can do uh, on your own for relaxation or certainly in 2020 where people have been in quarantine. I'm sure that solo board gaming has been a refuge for a lot of folks. So uh, what do you guys think? Do you guys enjoy uh, solo play? So... I have I, def, I have taken the opportunity recently, so during the pandemic and with more time, to play some solo games on my own. I definitely do not have as much experience with it as you guys do, but I have played a, a couple games. Um, all the games that I've played have been multiplayer games that have been pared down to a single player's experience, um, which is definitely different from actual solo games themselves. And I don't have a lot of experience with those, but I know that Aaron does have quite a few games that are solo player only, like we were talking about with Black Sonata. Um, and I'm definitely interested to understand more about that because I love to know how those games play differently. Because when you're operating from a single player perspective, you don't have to worry about these mechanics that allow players to go at each other. How do you work on these win states when multiple people are going for them? How do you balance an economy? If you have one person playing, you can control the experience a lot more. So I'd be interested in how those games differ in the way that they approach gaming. Yeah. Um, so solo games, you can kind of boil it down to like three basic versions. You have your multiplayer game. I mean, it's uh, of multiplayer games, there's basically two types. Uh, there's multiplayer games where the solo mode is get a high score, like basically any Euro that has a a single player mode is just play the game as usual and then use this Excel spreadsheet that we have provided you to tabulate your score. And then here's an arbitrary set of numbers to compare your score against to see just how bad you really did. This is the board game equivalent of that little game at Cracker Barrel, like where it tells you at the end, like you got so many pegs left, you're a doofus. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Um, And then you've got um, your, the rest of board games that are not Euros, Um, your your Ameritrash solo modes. And admittedly, these are, I I feel, a lot less common. Um, Euro games tend to be derisively described as multiplayer solitaire anyway, because there's not a lot of player interaction. So anytime you try to, to solo something with a lot of player interaction, there's usually there's you know there's a, a supplemental rule book there's a, a whole ancillary decks of cards and lots of dice rolling to kind of simulate other people doing stuff that is messing you up and I, I've played a number of them a lot of them are better than others uh, some of them are just downright awful. Part of the problem is, you know, when you're when you're playing a multiplayer game solo, you don't have the opportunity to learn that other player. You know, I know from experience 
if I'm playing a game with my brother, I know that if I attack him, that's that's the rest of my game now and the rest of his. He will spend the rest of time just destroying me. And I know that. I can, you know, that's I have that that meta knowledge. Whereas with a, a deck of cards that's been shuffled and a couple dice that get rolled, you're not you don't really know you can't really get an idea of what the automated player is going to be doing. You don't have an idea of what path is it pursuing. All it's doing is simulating kind of interrupting your plans. That's really interesting because it kind of, you know, there's always two layers when you're playing board games with people. There's the variables on the board and then there's the, the personalities at play and how people's kind of like, uh, how people's kind of impulse is they're going to respond to different things. You know, like you said, we have uh, certain folks that we play with uh, that if you attack them, you know, they're always going to retaliate or there's always going to be that one player who wants to avoid conflict. And if you're, you can kind of metagame at that level. Solo gaming obviously strips all of that out. That could be a very good thing uh, if one you don't like that stuff. Maybe you're maybe the social dynamics of sitting around a table kind of stresses you out, and the and the meta game of playing with people is like kind of a, a quagmire for you, or just something you don't want to deal with for a particular game session. Or also, it kind of makes the game a little bit more uh, more like a pure experience because it's just you versus the rules, and there are no personalities or other dynamics at play. So you're kind of testing your wits in a different way. Yeah, it becomes a lot more about how you work on things yourself. Um, before we get into like solo only games, when you're talking about playing with other people and learning those people and having those mechanics, there are there is a subgenre of games when you talk about cooperative games, especially things like Pandemic, which a lot of people often play by themselves anyways. Do you feel that those come across as good solo player experiences? Are they well-rounded in a way that you can play them by yourself? Or do those depend on playing with multiple people more than you might expect? Uh, most most cooperative games that are solo-able, that you can play by yourself, uh, they generally, even in the rules, will recommend, like, if you're playing by yourself, you need to be prepared to play two hands at once. Because... It's just not balanced to scale down all the way down to one person at a time. Um, and just, you know, that that can a little bit become a lot to manage in your brain of, okay, is it my left hand's turn or is it my right hand's turn? Okay, so the game just took a really long turn and now I've forgotten who just went. Um, I've been playing uh, Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion solo recently and i basically had to you know dig out a, a piece from my spare parts collection to use as a current player marker just because there there can be so much that happens on an individual turn especially if it's you know the game's turn that can really it can become a lot more difficult to manage in your head and then even with with co-op games a lot of the more advanced or more challenging co-op games have some amount of hidden information. You know, we're all working together, even even co-ops without, you know, a hidden trader. We're working together, but I have the cards in my hand, you have the cards in your hand, and we can kind of talk about what we're each planning to do. But the game works best when we're not completely transparent about it. So... 
removing that layer of of obscurity it it almost boils down to just here are the pieces of the puzzle you have to figure out the best way to put them together and you have unlimited time to figure it out because no one's sitting across the table pulling out their iphone rolling their eyes because you're taking 20 minutes to figure out okay do i go to beirut do i go to lebanon what's my best move here that actually touched on something that i really enjoy about solo play which is that idea which is the the feeling of having unlimited time it can help you kind of puzzle through a complex game at a more leisurely pace which is nice because you you know when you're playing with other people sometimes you feel rushed even just because you you want to be sensitive to other people's time and not you know have the game take all night uh if you're just playing by yourself and you're just messing around you can take all the time you need to like solve a puzzle but there are also there's kind of another layer to that. When I'm playing board games by myself, I also find that it's easier to kind of indulge in some of the thematic like parts of the game. Like if I'm playing a game uh, like that has flavor text on cards and things, I mean, you're playing with other people, sometimes you just pull it past all that because you're just trying to kind of play the game. But uh, for example, a game that uh, I do enjoy playing solo is Elder Sign from Fantasy Flight Games. Fun little game of uh, rolling dice. It's basically spooky Yahtzee. Uh, but it has a lot of like flavor to it. Every time you put out one of the locations cards or some like weird text about what's going on, all the enemies have a little blurb. When you're playing with other people and you're kind of trying to keep things moving, you don't sit there and read about, you know, the backstory of the weird demon that just like popped up out of the monster deck. But, you know, if you're playing by yourself, I find it enjoyable to kind of indulge in those things and kind of let the narrative elements of the game kind of flavor a little more. Yeah, absolutely. You you really do have the opportunity to actually read the flavor text and not just skip past anything in italics. Uh, which, you know, when you're playing a game with a group of people, maybe with the right group of people, maybe the first time you play it, you'll kind of go through that. But yeah, certainly if it's if you've been playing it for a while or if not everyone is 100% down to learn about uh, cool bird facts while you're playing Wingspan, you're just you're just gonna go right past it and onto mm-hmm. no the, the numbers and the keywords. No, if you're not down with bird facts, then um, I'm not down with you. You know, if if we're playing Wingspan, we're reading bird facts. I mean, I don't even know who we I don't even know who we are as people anymore if we can't stop and read about a red-breasted finch and like why it lives in a tree. I don't even know why you're playing the game at that point because it really is just a delivery for bird facts. I want that to be a pull quote. I want that to be a pull quote on the Wingspan box. Uh, Dice Pirates, colon. This is really just a delivery for bird packs. That's, that's really what it Absolutely. is. So I'm curious as to, you know, because when you actually, you know, we've talked about games that are multiplayer games and uh, that boil down to solo games. And I'd love to come back to that. But when you get these games that do focus on a purely single player experience, it does provide a little more leeway in the way that you're allowed to approach things. Um, I don't know. We talked about uh, Black Sonata earlier that has a hidden, you know, a hidden mechanic where you're trying to deduce where the uh, the lady is, and I think that's really cool. Are there mechanics that you see a lot in solo games that you don't see in multiplayer games because they might work, or just because they don't scale as well? The solo games that I tend to enjoy, that I think of as better solo games, you you, you at home can't see my air quotes there. Um, typically rely more on a deck of cards almost being in a set order. So there's some thought, some nuance there that you can really pick up on and, and learn. 
Um, whereas in some other games, it's just kind of like roll the dice, and then based on what the dice roll is, this is what happened when it wasn't your turn. So it's just, you know, like I said earlier, it's just random chaos happening around you instead of it being more of simulating an actual person across from the table from you. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It does. There's a lot more artificial intelligence, you know, obviously not exactly, but there is a computer essentially that you're playing against in a lot of instances. Um, do you think that can increase replayability or is it harder to have a constantly replayable single player game since you don't have those people to play against? Um, do you end up with a similar experience every time you play or can it vary enough as you move from game to game? Yeah, so um, in the, the, the game that I've been talking about, uh, Black Sonata, you know, if I played the game twice a day, every day for a year, I would eventually figure out the pattern to it because there are only so many configurations that the the hidden movement deck could be in in any way that doesn't involve her just warping around the board randomly. But it it also means that like it, it is kind of learnable, I feel. Like it's you you can't really like I said, unless you're playing it just hours and hours and hours back to back to back you you will get a fresh feeling experience every time. Um, one of the, the first solo games that I ever bought uh, Friday uh, is you're cast away on an island and you have to encounter things so that you can get smarter and stronger and get better weapons. Um, it is a solo deck builder, which I think is, is really interesting because I'm a big fan of deck builders in general. And, I mean, it's literally just shuffling the deck randomly and then depending on what level that you are currently affects the the level that the obstacle that you're facing is. And even that, even though it's just a deck of cards shuffled, the more that you play it, the more that you learn, okay, in this part of the game, I definitely need to focus on getting rid of bad cards and getting the cards that give me health back. Whereas later in the game, I can spend a lot more effort focusing on getting the ones that can, you know, do a lot of damage or can negate bad effects entirely. Because if I spend too much time working on that in the beginning of the game, then I won't, when I get to the end of the game, I won't be able to grab the cards that allow me to keep playing to the end. I think I think another element of like replayability in uh, solo games is um, well. So you know, on one hand, you have these uh, uh, puzzly games where the satisfaction comes from solving the puzzle or solving it in a more efficient way. But there's also like I think uh, story and like theme can make a game replayable. And so a lot of the solo games that I've played are on the more thematic end versus being really puzzly. Uh, I really enjoy uh, the. Uh, Warhammer Quest adventure card game, and uh, it's kind of spiritual sequel, uh, Heroes of Tyrannoth, both of those from Fantasy Flight. And those are really simple uh, dungeon crawl games that are deck, uh, deck of card based. So there's not, those are great solo things because there's not this huge board with a bunch of miniatures to set up. You still get that dungeon crawl vibe, but it's quick to just get to the table and play. And because it's thematic, there's 
kind of a little bit of story. There's the randomness of different events and different scenarios that you can play through in a scenario. But because you have all those things, it's really easy to, to always come back and feel like something fresh is happening. You can play a scenario that you've never played before, or even if it is a scenario you played before, you're going to encounter different monsters and different traps. And so there's that variability. So all of that really keeps it fresh. So sometimes I think theme and, and storytelling elements really liven things up for you. Yeah, no, I love I, that. Does make a lot of sense. Games that have a very rich theme to them, or games that really rely on story, especially stories that continue, would be very easy to replay consistently. Um, especially like I'd love to uh, ask a little more about um, playing Gloomhaven by yourself because I know that is designed for more people. But do you feel like you're getting the full Gloomhaven experience? Has that been as enjoyable playing it by yourself? Um, like a lot of multiplayer games that can be played solo, I feel like I'm getting about 80% of the experience. Um, one of the the big mechanics in Gloomhaven, there's there's two of that that I can think of particularly in this um, in this facet. One is that uh, you don't know what initiative the other players are taking. So in Gloomhaven, you take two hands out of your card, those are the actions you're going to do, and each of them has a number on it, and you decide what number is going to be your initiative for that round. So that's basically starting at zero all the way down to 100. Where in the initiative order are you going to act? And in traditional Gloomhaven, you don't know exactly when everyone else is going to go. So... You can say, all right, I'm going to try and go early and knock that guy out so that you can go after me and then run past him, blow stuff up. And in solo, I always know exactly when the other person is going because I have the car sitting there right in front of me. So you don't get those moments of, of accidentally messing up somebody's whole turn because you didn't go as late as they thought you were going to. Um, another part of it is the, the city events. In between each uh, fight in Gloomhaven, you draw a card from this deck that are these, these special events that you will only ever encounter once ever. Like, I think the instructions in the rulebook literally say to tear the card in half once you've resolved it. And in a game with, with three other people, you're going to talk about, okay, is it worth us giving up some of the precious little gold that we've managed to put together in order to see what that side of this event is? Or should we run past the little kid crying on the side of the road, or should we stop and help him because maybe that's a monster or something? Whereas when you're playing by yourself, you just kind of sit and think and then make your own decision so it, you don't really get the, the, the chance to bounce that off of other people. I can see the combat like the actual levels of Gloomhaven being pretty fun solo because, you know, at that, at that point you're still just kind of, you're grappling with the, the card drafting or the card play mechanic there and trying to puzzle out how to defeat the enemies. And it's just, that, that I could see that being fun, but I think, uh, I think you're, you're right. I bet the, the, the extra world parts of that game are, are probably very different solo. And that's where a game that, you know, they, it's nice that they, scaled it to where it's possible to play by yourself if that's what you want or if you're just in a situation or an environment or for whatever reason you can't pull a group together but you still want to enjoy this really fun game it's nice that you can play it so but you're right that's one where i think you're probably 
leaving uh, some things behind and missing out on some of the things that kind of make that game special by not having a group. Yeah, it's it's still, I mean, it's still a thoroughly enjoyable game. It is still one of the best designed games that I've ever played. But it definitely, I, I definitely get the feeling that I'm not playing the whole game or that I'm not playing the game as it was intended to be played. So I wanted to, uh, to talk about this and get your thoughts too on this, Aaron, about uh, one thing I've noticed when I play a game solo is that there's actually a, can be some real brain burn when it comes to running the, all the elements of the game by yourself. Uh, it's it, Sometimes you hear people say that like they like solo play because it's relaxing or that it's kind of zen. I actually have the totally opposite experience. I feel like my brain is on overdrive because it's, it's not at all like vegging out and playing a video game by yourself because you don't have AI controlling the mechanics of the game and you're just kind of you know controlling your character and like making choices. If I'm playing a dungeon crawl that has enemy movement and traps and a lot of variables to control, that's a lot of rules to do. And then also, I usually, if I play a dungeon crawl type game solo, I usually will control multiple characters. So I've got you know, I got a couple of different characters with different weapons and abilities. I've got monsters. I've got all these things. There's a lot going on. Do you, do you ever get that feeling of just like that kind of brain burn of like, there's a lot of moving parts here when I'm trying to solo a game? Yeah, absolutely. It it can be a real challenge when you are soloing a game just to keep everything in your head at once. Because when you're playing a game with a group of people, especially if it's a game that they are all either familiar with or at least willing to learn the game. You don't have to constantly be paying attention to what everybody else is doing at all times, 100%. You can offload some of that responsibility to other players or just understand that they're going to police their own turns and that they're probably going to do it right. Whereas when you're playing solo, you're the only person there. So you have to remember all of the rules and you have to be the person who looks up the rules and you have to be the person who goes on board game geek because the manual isn't quite clear enough about this one specific edge case. So it, it can certainly be a lot more, a lot more challenging, uh, especially the first time that you're playing a solo game. I usually don't count the first, I don't know, half dozen plays of a solo game because I know that I'm going to finish and be like, that was weird how that went. And then I look it up online and I'm like, oh, that's because I completely didn't do this one thing at all, ever. Um, but I will say there are a couple that I've played enough times that I, I can understand that that relaxed feeling, um, particularly the smaller box games, just because there's fewer components, which means there's fewer things to keep track of. Um, like Friday, I can I could play Friday very easily right now and that's not going to really stress me out mentally because i understand the mechanics and i understand the game itself well enough that it it doesn't present that same cognitive load whereas if i was to sit down and play massive darkness by myself i you know i just know that i'm gonna have to go to bed as soon as i finish because i'm just going to be exhausted by the time that's over i can definitely see learning a new game or playing a game that is a little bit more complex like that can be something that can be difficult. Um, especially, you know, when you don't have other people to keep an eye out or look for rule changes. I was playing Sagrada um, by myself the other day 
And I thought it would be a very fun, very kind of zen, relaxing experience. And then I got halfway through and, you know, Sagrada is based around rolling dice and rolling different colored dice and placing them in a mosaic dependent upon color and number. And I got halfway through the game and realized that I'd made several moves that were wrong. And at that point, there's no way to recover that. I can't I right. can't just take those ones out. The entire game is over for me at that point. And without other people to keep an eye on that and say, hey, that's that's not right. That, you know, that mind that, you know, mind lapse on my part just meant that I had to put the game away at that point And I never I never finished it. That does touch on a, a really interesting kind of uh, thing about solo games that you can you, you can fudge a little bit if you want. Right. Nobody, there's nobody looking. No one sees me. Uh, so, you know, if I'm playing it again, I tend to play these dungeon crawlers, these combat games. You know, if I roll the dice and I didn't hit that zombie, maybe, maybe, oops, maybe I'll roll again and see if I get a better roll. Yeah, you know? Maybe it landed a little bit sideways on the edge of the dice. Tray. Yeah. So, you know, what do you think about that? I mean, is it like, uh, is that good? I mean, do you, uh, Aaron, do you, uh, do you cheat when you play by yourself? What do you think? Uh, I mean, I I definitely have. I'm not going to sit there and act like I haven't. Be, I be honest to the people, Aaron. It does always leave me with a weird feeling when I'm packing the game away of like, oh, oh, I mean, I won, but did I really win? Um, but that's life, really. But, I mean, it is nice to be able to, like, when you, when you miss it by that much, you're like, uh, yeah, but I did hit the guy, and then I won, so it's fine. Well, it gives you a chance to kind of customize, like, what am I, like, wanting out of this? You know, if I'm just here to have, if I'm just, if I am just relaxing just on a chill night, then, yeah, why not just roll the dice again? You know, let's just, maybe, maybe the heroes are, uh, get another shot on this particular run through the dungeon or the adventure, but, you know, if you're pushing yourself on a puzzle game like Sagrada, it's sort of like, you know, the point is to, to solve the puzzle if you've uh, horribly screwed it up like Ian did. I think the only thing to do is to quit. (laughs) (laughs) And and to to compare it to its closest analog, you know, in video games, how many of us are guilty of auto-saving right before the big thing happens? You know, absolutely, everybody does. Oh, yeah. And then when you die because you were woefully unprepared, you just reload that save. In board games, since you can't, like, freeze a moment in time and then go back in time... I, it's basically the same thing. I I agree, actually. You know, you nobody there's a no nobody would better deny that in the video game world. So that's why I uh, completely justify all the times I reroll dice and allowed myself to beat all the monsters in the end. There you go. Yeah, and I mean, you know, we've done that occasionally playing cooperative games as well because if you're not having fun, what's the point of playing anyways? That is the that is the thing. We are trying to have fun. So, Aaron, why don't you? Uh, Tell us a little bit more about some of the solo games that you enjoy. So we can kind of maybe give some recommendations for people who might be interested in giving solo gaming a try, but they didn't know where to start. What are some uh, games you recommend or games that you really enjoy playing? Yeah, so uh, one of the, the first games that I ever got that was a solo game is a game called Deep Space D6. Um, it uh, was originally a print and play, which is a common theme that you'll see in a lot of solo games as they start off as kind of a passion project that eventually get enough notoriety they get a, a printed version. Um, Deep Space D6 is kind of a, a worker placement wherein your worker represents these six dice that uh, have custom printed sides and you roll them and the face that they show is basically where they can be assigned in your ship this turn. 
There are also a couple other spots on the ship that'll accept any kind of worker or will allow you to change the face of another worker. So it's all about trying to figure out the best way to defeat this almost endless wave of alien ships attacking your ship by trying to figure out, you know, is it better to prioritize shields right now? Should I instead focus on just doing a lot of damage and clearing the path so that maybe on my next turn I can come back? Um, Another one that I've been playing a lot lately uh, is uh, really the the tiny epic series of games by Gamelin Games. They are multiplayer games, but they generally have pretty good solo modes. Uh, but primarily the the one that certainly see the most talked about and that I think is is one of their most well-developed ones is Tiny Epic Galaxies, where you are sending your ship to different planets to colonize them or just take advantage of their resources. And the different AIs for that game uh, are, are can be almost brutally punishing which makes the victory that much sweeter and it it actually has a scalable set of enemy cards to the back of each player mat represents a different level of difficulty so you can get that sense of progression and that sense of getting better at a game while still allowing it to be challenging in different and interesting ways that's one that i've played as well and i highly recommend it um it's uh it's a good solo mode. It's a great puzzle to solve. And uh, really, Gamelin Games across the board does a good job of uh, implementing solo uh, variants for, I think, all their games. I think with uh, Tiny Epic Kingdoms, I may be wrong about this, but I think with Tiny Epic Kingdoms, the solo rules were in a, in a subsequent expansion rather than being in the base box. Yeah, it, it was not part of the first edition of the game. It was in, introduced in the the Heroes Call expansion for the game, and it's very fiddly. There's a D12 that you roll, and then like a compass card that you have to use to determine where the other player moves. Yeah, that one I, I haven't played, so I, and, and it just right out the gate when I heard that they were adding a solo mode, I was like, I'm not sure if that works great for that game, because it's a 4X strategy game, and it's just, uh, no. But it works great in Tiny Epic Galaxies, and it's uh, a really fun one. I actually just played uh, Tiny Epic Galaxies again uh, about a week ago and uh, was charmed all over again by the little wooden spaceships and remembered, like, I love that game. It's such a good one. Yeah, and to, to touch on uh, an earlier point, if I can go back a little bit, um, particularly the, the Tiny Epic series, but something that you'll see a lot in solo games that I, I feel bears its own, you know, small point here is because a a solo only game only needs components for one person generally, the boxes are a lot smaller, the boards can be a lot smaller. Like they they don't occupy as much physical real estate, which uh, can be a really a great boon. Um, I've been working from home lately, like I'm sure a lot of people and it is nice to be able to while i'm on my lunch break i don't have to get up go to a different room sit down at the dining room table drag something out i can just grab you know a a little solo game 
from from next to my work desk, move my keyboard out of the way, and I have enough space to set up the game and run the game. And I don't I don't feel like I'm having to cram it into a space that it is not intended for. There's a lot to be said about the accessibility of solo player games. And you mentioned that earlier as well with the print and play aspect of a lot of these games is it's incredibly easy to find a game that you want to try that people enjoy if it has that element to it if you can print it out you don't have to worry about a lot of these night you may not have the nice cubes or trackers but you can still play the game and you can still get every bit of it that somebody else would and that does like you said transfer into the size of the box but that also often transfers into cost as well a lot of these solo player games because there will be fewer parts to them because it's a lot smaller you're going to have a, it's going to be cheaper to get into as well absolutely um and to, to print and plays i i haven't myself personally delved into print and plays much just because i am incredibly lazy but if anyone is interested in trying out a solo game there is a, a print and play that you can find on Board Game Geek. It's completely free. It's called Utopia Engine. And it is there there's two pages that you have to print out, and then you need a handful of D6s and a pencil. Um, there is a rule book that's ten pages, I think, but I mean, really, all you need to do is print out those two pieces of paper and then you can just pull up that rule book as a PDF on your phone. And it's a, a fantastic game of like exploring these wastelands and recovering artifacts and then connecting those artifacts to try and power on the Utopia engine to stop Doomsday and save the world. And it's it's a really great entry point because it's something that has been out for a while that the designer of it, uh, you can tell, put a lot of time and effort into this. This is not something with little clip art cutouts i mean the the artwork is honestly gorgeous for just a pdf that you can download off the internet for free and have forever that uh that's really fascinating i like the idea of very accessible inexpensive or even totally free games as something that kind of makes board gaming a more accessible hobby with a lower barrier of entry i think one of the downsides to this kind of board game renaissance that we're all living in and it's very exciting if you like the hobby, but a uh, downside is that uh, games are getting bigger and they're getting much more expensive. I mean, the tendency towards big box games that are crammed full of components, the desire amongst uh, the game audience for more like luxurious game components and feel means that the ticket price on games is getting outrageous. Uh, you know, just last episode we touched on this, but I mean, Fantasy Flight just dropped this... Uh, behemoth of a game or, or they're planning to drop this behemoth of a game that's like 170 plus dollars full of miniatures and components and that's just that's not an entry game you know and so uh it's it's really nice to know that there's a, a wealth of games out there that are small that are inexpensive or free and they were probably are a great starting point for somebody just wanting to explore the hop print out utopia engine set it up and just kind of see what modern uh, gaming has to offer. You know, if you haven't touched on, if you haven't played a board game since uh, you, know, you played Trouble in like fifth grade, uh, there's a whole world out there of fun stuff, and this is a good way to get into it. I wish that this is something I had been more aware of back when we talked to, um, about our gateway board games, because 
oftentimes if you're interested in getting into board gaming you might not have a group of people that want to get into it at the same time as well and this is a really good entry point for you to enjoy a lot of these mechanics and a lot of these uh designs that we see in games but to have it on a smaller scale and something you can do by yourself solo games can can really be a great entry point i mean for for all of those reasons that they can be had for free or really pretty cheap like friday it's a fantastic little solo deck builder that you can get on amazon for like i routinely you see it on sale for like 15 20 bucks um it it takes up very little space. You can easily, like I said, just move your keyboard out of the way and you have all the space you need on your desk. And you don't have to con- you don't have to wait for three other people's schedules to all line up and to want to do this thing. You just decide, hey, I've got 45 minutes. Let's learn this game. And that's it. You don't, you know, you 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 have that capability to to really try out something completely on your own and to get a, a very rewarding experience out of it without there being a huge investment of of really that much money or that much time. Yeah, and speaking of that, a game that I want to recommend that kind of fits in what you're just talking about of being uh, low cost, low barrier of entry is um, a game called Four Against Darkness which is a simple retro style pen and paper role-playing game that is totally designed to be played by yourself. Uh, it's basically uh, somewhere between uh, a combination of like a choose your own adventure book and Sudoku maybe. I don't know. Like it's, it's kind of got this vibe of like sitting down with a pen and paper and like playing uh, kind of a leisure activity by yourself, but it's a dungeon experience you uh, use a book to uh, create a party of four adventurers. You roll dice to randomly create a dungeon and you have to draw it out. All you need to play the game is a graph paper and a pencil. And you draw out these rooms in the dungeon as the dice uh, dictate which section of the dungeon you wandered into. And then you roll for the contents of the room. So it could be monsters to fight, there could be a strange encounter, a mysterious object. And you keep going until you find a boss and uh, then defeat it and make your way back out again. It's a uh, very, I've, I've played that game a good bit. I bought it on a whim one day because I saw it trending on the good old BGG hotness list. And I have found it to be um, closer to that Zen relaxing thing that people look for in solo gaming than some of the other like big box games that I've tried to play because it is so simple. It really is just a book and paper. It's also, and this could be a criticism in some people's minds, it's not uh, a game of very complex choices. You almost feel like it's kind of a game where the dice are just telling you a story. You, you really, the only choices you make are like, don't want to go left or right from here. And then from there, it's like, you roll dice. Okay, this is the shape of the room I'm in. You roll dice. This is what's in here. You roll dice. This is what happened. <laughs> so, you know, it is a little bit of a, uh, not the most complex and thinky game, but it is kind of fun to see this weird uh, dungeon crawl adventure just kind of unfold on the table in front of you. And then you kind of have some of that like fun, uh, if you like it, that fun kind of Zen feeling of like ticking off boxes and like, you know, checking things because you can, uh, you know, you're tracking your character's hit points and what's in their inventory. Uh, it's a fun little game. It's very chill. Uh, I'll say the only other things I'll say about it is um, it, it's, it, it could be a good way to dip your toes into role-playing, like real pen and paper role-playing if you've never done it. 
because it can be really hard to get a group together if you don't have friends that are already into it, but you maybe have always wanted to try it. This is not going to give you all the story and the narrative of a role playing game, but it'll let you kind of, it'll let you have that experience of like rolling up characters and doing some of these classic role playing things. And, uh, it's also, um, uh, so it's a good way to kind of introduce you to role playing. It's also, uh, it can be, uh, very, uh, relaxing and just like a chill way to just like spend an evening by yourself. If you just got some, some time on your hands. And it's like what you're talking about with some of these print and play games that are simple. It's just a game that's like, I got 45 minutes, just pull the book down and go. So that's one I'd recommend. There are a lot of really fun options that I think I really like to get more into as well. Um, I definitely look some of these up. Um, if you had to recommend one or two games that you think people should definitely pick up, Aaron, what do you think you would you would pick out? Uh, if, I, if I if I had to recommend right now, definitely I would pick up Tiny Epic Galaxies. Um, it plays fantastically multiplayer. It plays excellently as a solo game, so it, it can transition between those two really, really well. And then if you're looking for something that's a little bit more fantasy or role-playing based, there's a game by Asmati Games, not Asmodee, Asmati. It's very confusing. That's called One Deck Dungeon. And it is a deck of cards that represent different monsters and obstacles that you're going through in a dungeon. And as you overcome them, you can acquire them into your little player tableau where you can add them at, you can increase your stats, you can get special abilities or just use them as experience to level up to get more stats and experience. Um, it's, it's fantastic. It fits in just a little double wide deck box. Uh, doesn't take up that much space on the table and it even scales to, if you would like, you can play it two player co-op with another person so I think those would both be good entry points because they're both games that you can play by yourself or with other people that I think are excellent examples of what a good solo game can be. Yeah, I think those are fantastic choices. Uh, being able to scale games up or down depending on who you're playing with, especially as games to get early on, I think are really good choices. Um, I really enjoyed being able to talk about this, especially because I think like we talked about at the beginning of the episode, playing board games by yourself is one of those often maligned ideas. And there's a lot to love about that. It's, I mean, everything you know we love about board games can be found in solo player board games as well. And there's no difference between doing that and watching a show or playing a video game. Yeah, I just, I think this is a real exciting kind of uh, area of board gaming to explore and it's something that I'm looking to get into more. I think we've been really fortunate uh, to have a consistent board game group to play in over the last couple of years, but you know, not everyone has that uh, access to that. And so you shouldn't be like shut out of the hobby just because uh, for like scheduling reasons or because of a job or whatever, you, you're in a place where you aren't able to pull together a group of friends as easily. Uh, there's a whole world out there of really interesting games uh, that are fun to play, that are inexpensive, that are sometimes even totally free, that lets you experience this great hobby totally by yourself. I think that's a really exciting uh, thing. I think it's great that more and more designers are providing uh, games in that space. And I think you really can't understate how uh, great it is that these games are often very uh, inexpensive. I was just Googling One Deck Dungeon 
uh, with Aaron talking about it. it see, we'll see in that game listed for 22 bucks, you know, on Amazon. And that's, uh, that's a great value for a game that will give you a lot of enjoyment. So yeah, I mean, solar gaming is a, a really fun and niche. And I think it's something that uh, if you are into board gaming at all, you should give it a look. That is our episode on solo player games. I want to extend a huge thank you to Aaron for joining us this episode, providing a lot of much needed insight and a little bit of sanity in my consistent battle with Matt to keep this podcast on track. I didn't even bust into song this episode, uh, Aaron. Uh, I mean, is there any requests? Is there anything you want me to sing? We got a few minutes here. <laughs> Uh, just, you know, thanks. Thanks tremendously for having me. Uh, happy to be here. Love to, to come back and, and discuss some further topics. But I mean, the beauty of solo games is every board gamer's favorite thing to do is play board games. And really all solo games is, is just a, an, more opportunities to play more games. Those are some great points. Just to be clear, you don't want me to sing. I just want to circle back to that and be very clear. Uh, yes. Uh, thank you. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll slide into your DMs later. We're definitely going to call on that before Matt decides to break out into song. So I'm going to cut this off now. But if you enjoyed listening to us, definitely follow us on iTunes or leave us a review. That helps That helps us get out to more people. It really helps get the podcast out there. We are so grateful to the people who have been listening already. If you do want to get in contact with us, let us know what sort of solo games you enjoy. Are there games that we didn't talk about that you thought are worth mentioning? Let us know. Matt, where can people get a hold of us? You can find us on Instagram at, at Dice Pirates. Uh, that's our main hangout. Uh, we're also on Facebook, Twitter, and uh, you can find our podcast wherever podcasts are found. Uh, but uh, Instagram's our main hangout. We'd love for you to follow us there. Send us a message, uh, comment on some of the posts, and tell us uh, what you'd like to hear on the show. We definitely look forward to hearing from you. Next episode, we are going to be talking about themes in games. I'm particularly excited about that conversation. Thank you all for listening, and we're going to be back soon. See ya. See ya.